Hello, APGov, and welcome to the Unit 3 test review. Unit 3 has covered a whole hodgepodge of stuff. Uh, this unit, we talked about political parties, interest groups, voting rights, voter turnout, campaigns, elections, just a whole host of things. And while it is a hodgepodge and it seems kind of thrown together, just remember that all this stuff was getting at how are we linked to our government? Because just by ourselves, we're usually kind of isolated from our government. The federal government's not coming and checking on us. Even our state government's not really doing that. So how can we link up? How can we get close to our government if we're not going to be really with them on a day-to-day -day basis? And a lot of these things are, are ways that we can get messages to or cross to uh, our politicians uh, when they're not going to hear our individual voices. They might hear it through these other things that we've talked about, political parties, interest groups, elections, and messages. So that's what all this stuff was about at the end of the day. All right, let's get rolling with the review. The review can be found on eClass uh, if you want to have it out or if you just want to listen. That's fine as well. Uh, just some test details. It is 35 questions. Uh, and we'll, we'll be pen and paper uh, and in class on Friday the 13th. Okay, so the first thing on your study guide is the incumbent advantages. So the president, first off, has some advantages uh, over the challenger. Probably the biggest one is the whole primary thing. So President Biden is our incumbent president going into the 2020, 2024 excuse me, election cycle. And President Biden is not going to have to spend time, money, resources, and effort going through all those state primaries and caucuses. So the Republicans, they're going to have to be up in Iowa in late January, early February, whenever that thing happens. Then they're going to have to travel to New Hampshire, which is where the second one is. And then they'll just go on this gauntlet of state to state to state trying to get the Republican nomination. It's a grind, it's time consuming, it's money consuming, and just a lot of work and effort. Biden can sit at home and not to worry about that. Doesn't have to spend the money doing the ads and paying for staff and all that kind of stuff. He just gets to sit back and watch and wait. That's a huge advantage of being the incumbent. Uh, if things are going well, President Biden will be able to you credit claim and say, hey, I've done all this stuff that's positive. So there's a lot of things that go into the president and their advantages um, as the incumbent. On the Congress side, uh, you know, the biggest one is name recognition. They get their known. you know, uh, whether you realize it or not, you'll probably go into the voting booth and you'll vote for someone and you might not know anything about them, but you might see their name. I'm not saying you as an individual, but just overall, people might recognize, hey, I remember that person from five election cycles ago or whatever it might be. And they won and won and won and won. So they're there. They've been there. Uh, they get to credit claim. They can say, hey, this is the stuff that I have provided you as my constituents. I have provided this <clears throat> project, which created this many jobs. I've gotten this much money into our district. All these things that they've done. They're also going to get more money. Remember, House members win 90% of the time. 90%. If I'm given money 
if I'm supporting a candidate, I'm going to support the, the candidate that's there and has had the, the track record and is probably going to win. If I'm giving my money to a challenger, there's a good chance they're going to lose. So why do I want to do that? So those are some of the big ones uh, <clears throat> as far as incumbents go. Amicus curiae briefs. Remember, these are those letters to the court. They are, it's friends of the court, basically, is what it says. And um, it's, a, it's a tool that anybody can use, but usually it's interest groups. I've, I've not, I mean, I don't talk to many people, but I, I don't, I've never met anybody that's written one of these things. All right. I've never felt so uh, passionate about an issue that the Supreme Court is looking at that I've wanted to write one. So typically interest groups are going to write these things. It is a form of lobbying uh, to the courts because the interest groups can't donate money to campaigns because justices don't run. So this is a way for them to kind of, hey, this is why we think you should rule this way on this particular issue that matters to us. McCain-Feingold <clears throat> on the test, it's both. So I, I could, took care of the problem of, uh, hey, it's called both things. So it just says both of them, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act <clears throat> and McCain-Feingold. Remember, this did a couple things. First off, it tried to ban, 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 soft money completely. Get rid of that. We want to, to get rid of the money that's not tracked. So uh, that was a big thing that it did. Uh, it's also going to set some regulations on ads. Remember, you can't run specifically attack ads uh, 30 days outside of a primary and 60 days outside of a general election. Uh, so try and get rid of some of that negative uh, stuff that's going on there. Uh, didn't completely outright ban it. You can still do it outside of that window, but uh, tried to get rid of it as it leads up to an election. <clears throat> and then it also created the standby your ad policy where you have to say, hey, I'm such and such and I support this message. You can't just run an ad and then put it out there and not put your name to it. The candidate-centered versus the party-centered. Remember that it used to be the political parties did everything, and I mean everything, when it comes to picking candidates, running their campaigns, and all that kind of stuff. Since it's gone to a model where we get to pick the nominee, <clears throat> especially for the presidency, the political parties have taken a step back as far as what they get to do in the campaigns. It's really now about the part, I mean, excuse me, about the, it is the candidate running their, their, their campaign. It is the candidate that is going to have their platform front and center. And then the party will kind of wrap their stuff around the, the candidate. So really there is a move and it's actually happened from the party getting to do stuff to the candidates really being the, the focal point. All right, the political party functions. Um, remember that they do all kinds of stuff. All right, they raise funds. Uh, they spend money on candidates. They are going to recruit candidates. Remember, they're looking for people at the local level. So if it's something that you want to do, get into politics, you got to start small. Start looking into your local elections, especially you know, now that you're getting uh, to be you know, 18 years old, uh, you're eligible for some of these local local offices. Now, you're going to college probably, most likely, so you're probably not going to do it now, 
But once you graduate, if politics is like, I want to get involved, then it's something to start doing at the local level. Then you get noticed and you work your way up. They're going to mobilize voters. <clears throat> Remember, uh, that's either just as simple as sending us some registration info to uh, informing us of the issues or, or whatever it might be. Those are some of the big things. <clears throat> Citizens United. All right. So just to be quick, because we've talked about it a pretty good deal at this point. Remember, there is a movie, Hillary the movie. It was created by Citizens United. Um, it's kind of an attack ad against Hillary Clinton when she was running for office uh, or the, the Democratic nomination uh, against Barack Obama back in 2008. Uh, it did two things. First off, it took money from businesses and corporations, and that was in question. And it also was going to run the ads right up against the primaries and violate the BCRA. So uh, it got stopped. Citizens United appealed the decision by the FEC the Supreme Court got it, and they eventually ruled on the money issue. And that ruling was that free speech and money go together. So the campaign donations are tied to free speech. Open and closed primaries. So uh, states get to decide if they're going to be open or closed. Remember, open is where you can be whichever party you want to, and you can go vote in whichever uh, primary you want to. So um, like if there's two prime, if both the Republicans and Democrats are running, like in, in 2016, yeah, there was a uh, Barack Obama had finished up, and both the Republicans and Democrats had to nominate a new candidate. Uh, if you had gone to the poll, they would have asked you which party do you want to vote for, Republican or Democrat. That's open. Closed <clears throat> is where it's going to be. You have to be registered. So you have to be registered Republican to vote in the Republican one, registered Democrat to vote in the Democrat one. This is to try and avoid sabotage and picking the worst possible candidates. Critical elections. Uh, remember, these happen, um, and we don't really know they're happening at, at the time, but one of a couple things will happen. Either political parties will be wiped out and go away because voters have basically went away or moved away from that party, or the parties, and there'll be a shift in political ideology or something along those lines. Once again, we don't really know it's happening in the moment, and we won't really know until, hey, what happened to that one political party that we used to know about or used to have? Uh, let's see. The Electoral College versus direct election. So Electoral College is what we use right now. And there's always complaints about it. People want to go to the popular vote. Um, the Electoral College, I feel like we've talked about enough. Hopefully you just remember every state's assigned uh, votes based on their size from the House and the Senate, two plus whatever they have in the House. Uh, and that leads to where presidential candidates are going to really go after the swing states and the states that uh, maybe in a swing state, just a battleground state where it could go either way. And the larger states, you know, you're not going to get too much, um, too much, too much campaigning in some of the smaller states where there's only three votes. It's just not that big of a deal to some of these the, the candidates. Direct election would make it to where every vote counts. Now, in class, I use the example of, hey, you know, like California has been Democrat for a long time now. And in the Electoral College system, do the Republican votes out there count? Like, does it matter? Because the Democrats are going to win California. And so the Republicans are going and casting their votes. And they're not, in theory, being counted. They're being counted in California, obviously. But is it mattering to the grand scheme of things? Same thing for, the, for traditional red states, Texas being one of those. Are those Democrat votes really counting out there? And so if we went to a direct election where we're counting the popular vote and that's it, then everybody's vote counts all of a sudden. 
All right. So everybody's vote counts because uh, those votes are going into the one giant pool versus just in the small pool of the states. All right. Political parties versus interest groups. I feel like we have a pretty good grasp of this. Remember, political parties want to run the government. So they're going to run people for uh, office so that they can you know, kind of take control and implement their policies that way. Interest groups don't want to do that. They just want to influence the government and specifically, typically Congress people uh, about their one topic. Uh, and that's all they're worried about, which leads us to the next thing. Political parties are very broad. All right. So political parties have to worry about every single thing going on in this country and everything going on outside of this country because it affects us. And uh, interest groups don't have to worry about that. They're very narrow. They have their one issue that they're concerned about, and they put all their time, effort and concern into that one single issue. All right. Let's take a quick break. Be right back. And welcome back. Let's get right into it. So the next thing is voter turnout. So there's a chart, graph, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a, I don't know what it is. It's a chart. Uh, and you have to read the data. And it's about voter turnout. And there's a couple of things that, that play into voter turnout. Um, we talked about a few of them uh, very briefly at the beginning of this unit. Uh, but age is one of them. You know, uh, your age, 18 to 22-ish, 23, you get it probably 25, uh, typically don't turn out to vote. It's just how the data shows it out. Um, and then, you know, there's some other factors uh, that play into it. Education. The more education you have, the more likely you are to go vote. The more money you have, the more likely you are to go to vote. And there's different reasons assigned to these different things. We're not going to get into all of them here. But just know and understand that there are differing things that will, and when I say things, I mean demographics, uh, that will affect your likelihood of voting. Now, are there outliers? Are there you know, people that dropped out in eighth grade, they go vote. Yeah, all the time. But just as a whole, the data shows that they're less likely to go vote than someone that graduated high school or graduated college or got advanced degrees or whatever it might be. So just keep that in mind. Now, something that goes with this also is political efficacy. And I think the term is on the test. And just so you know, uh, political efficacy is just how you view your vote. So if you have a high level of political efficacy, that just means hey, my vote matters. When I go vote, it's going to make a huge difference. I need to go vote. If you have low political efficacy, that means my vote doesn't matter. Why should I go vote? I'll just sleep in and run some errands on vote on election day. I don't have to go vote because my vote doesn't matter. All right, next up is winner take all versus proportional. Oh, one other thing about that voter turnout stuff, it's going to ask you a couple questions uh, about like what's been done uh, to try and stop people from voting and, and things like that. And I, I think the I think it'll make sense to you once you see it on the test. And I think you'll be able to answer it um, just based on your knowledge. So I think you should be good there. I'll take a look at the data, though, when we, when we finish the test and see if it's one that needs to be kicked. All right, winner take all versus proportional. This is the system that we use for most of the elections in this country. Uh, congressional elections are winner take all, meaning you get the majority. You win and you're in office. Um, at the presidential level, the state elections, like when you're going to vote in the presidential election, uh, you're voting basically for your state to support this person. And if they get 50% of the vote, they get all of the electoral votes in that state. Uh, the Republicans use it for their nomination process. So when you, the primaries and caucuses are happening uh, in the spring, uh, the Republicans if you win that state, then you get all the delegates from that state. Uh, the Democrats do proportional. 
So you'll get a proportion based on how much, how many votes you get and the percentage you get. Uh, two states do proportional for their electoral votes, <clears throat> uh, and that's it. Alrighty. Um, congressional elections. I think I already talked about those. So those are they're all winner take all. I don't know of any proportionals uh, in the country. So winner take all. Remember, has the effect of really limiting <clears throat> our choices because we have the two two parties, Republican and Democrat. And they dominate this because third parties don't have much success when it's winner take all. They just they're not going to get the numbers that they need to make a dent uh, in what the, the two major parties have going on. So it's kind of a struggle there. All right. The linkage institutions I've already touched on this a little bit. Uh, just as a reminder, all the things we've been talking about in this unit have been about linkage and linking us to the uh, the government. All righty. Uh, and so. There are all sorts of things uh, that link us. Um, the the parties, you know, reaching out to us, uh, or us reaching out to the parties. Um, elections. We send messages to uh, the the parties based on what happens. Um, if you're voting a party out of office, out of the house, like right now, the Republicans have the majority party in the house. They took that from the Democrats. That was a message to the Democrats that, that people weren't liking exactly what they were doing there. Uh, if the Republicans get voted out of the House in 2024, that's a message to the Republicans. People don't like what they're doing. So we can send messages that way. So it's all about the, the linking us and, and us sending messages or getting messages from our political institutions. All right, next up is low voter turnout explained. And I've already kind of gone over that. Um, but just know there's there's been all kinds of barriers throughout the years, okay, uh, <clears throat> from, you know, poll taxes to literacy tests and, and registration requirements and uh, people can't get the day off and, and things like that. So um, there's all kinds of things to explain, hey, why don't Americans go vote? And there's a lot of, of reasons that we can look at. I'm not going to try and get into all of them here uh, in this uh, podcast, but just know there's a lot of things that's a very broad term, but there's a lot of um, issues at work when it comes to why don't people go vote? Because we do have low voter turnout in this country. Uh, political action committees, remember, this is just going to be a way for people, groups to raise more money and get it to politicians. So there are limits placed on how much you can donate. But I have more money I want to give. I have so much money. Not really. I didn't win the Powerball. So I'm very sad. But let's say I did. And I have all this money. I give my limit to you as a, a candidate. But I, I got more I want to give you. I think you're going to do great things. And I want to give more. So how can I do that? Well, let's give it to this political action committee over here. Who will then turn around and give you the money. So it's just a workaround. Now, when PACs are limited, they get uh, into electioneering where they're going to run commercials, they're going to send out flyers and do those sorts of things. So it's not just let's sit on this money. They do work and do a lot of things to try and get people elected beyond just donating money to the campaigns of the politicians. Then you get into super PACs, which we're not going to get into, but there are super PACs. And then the 527s, which we talked about on uh, Wednesday in class, uh, those are those groups that were created based around the tax code they get around, and they can take unlimited amounts of money. But remember, they cannot coordinate with politicians or parties, and they cannot support one side or the other. They can't say in their ad, 
hey, vote for this person or vote against this person. Congressional elections, uh, we've already talked about them a little bit. Um, just remember, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, probably the number one way to get elected is to have been elected, to be the incumbent. Remember, 90% in the House, 75% in the Senate. That's what's, that, that, you can make a pretty good bet on who's going to be elected based on the incumbency status. And if it's a now there are seats that are open, meaning, hey, the person has is is retiring, uh, is not going to run anymore, whatever it might be. So there's open seats where there's basically two challengers. Now, that's obviously different. But taking a look at the, the numbers, taking a look at the, the House, especially take a look at the incumbent. They're probably probably going to win. Lobbying. So remember that there is a stigma attached to lobbyists. And I'm not saying they're great people by any means, okay? But the whole idea that they're going to take these politicians out to dinner, maybe take them on a trip, and that's going to change their mind or make them do something that a politician doesn't really want to do is just not real, okay? Does it happen? Do lobbyists take people out to dinner? Do they, you know, try and convince them through the monetary means, sure. And that that is a, a valid thing that they do. But it's not going to be what makes a politician and a congressperson specifically do what the lobbyist and the interest group want. At the end of the day, congresspeople don't want to be seen with the lobbyists. They don't want to be seen with the interest groups. They don't want to be seen catering to special interests. Because then their constituents start to question, is this person working for me or are they working for that group that's giving them this money? So politicians are going to work hard to not be seen like that. And lobbyists recognize that and understand it. That is not the route they need to take. Okay. Probably the biggest thing that lobbyists do is they become experts on their topic and they really become a source of information for Congress people and they provide assistance and help. Now in that they also have their agenda. Hey, I want this person to vote on this issue this way. I want this person to affect change on this policy while they have it in committee. And as an expert, I can provide that advice. So please don't think that all lobbying is shady and just dinners and golf trips and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a lot more than that. Because once again, politicians aren't going to want to be seen uh, in the back pockets of those of those lobbyists and the and the interest groups. All right, third parties and their lack of success. So remember, there third parties exist. There are plenty of third parties. There's no shortage of third parties in this country. The problem is the winner-take-all system for them. Most of the time, third parties are not going to gain any traction. They're not going to have success like they would like because they can't get the majority. It's a very Difficult number for third parties to get to because most people think that third parties, or excuse me, if I, if I go vote for a third party, I'm throwing my vote away. Why would I want to do that? Let me vote for one of the major parties because then my vote counted at least. Their lack of success, uh, you know, they, 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 they've they not gotten electoral votes. I don't remember the last time. I think the last time they got an electoral vote might have been back in the 70s. So it's been a while since we've had a third party that even got one electoral vote. So it doesn't happen very often. 
Uh, what makes them successful is if they can get their agenda onto the agenda of the main major parties. So if they can make enough waves, have enough success that the, uh, the, the Republicans and the Democrats are like, hey, people, people identified with that, that platform, with that issue. Let's pick it up. That's a win for the, the third parties. That can also play in um, the role of spoiler. You know, if they can pull votes from one of the, the main candidates, uh, that's a success as well. All right, let's stop for our last break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Let's finish this thing off. Uh, so the next thing is the models of voting. <clears throat> and this is pretty quick and easy. Um, basically, when you go to vote, you'll do one of a couple things to make your choices and your decisions. If you use rational choice, that means that you're doing what is best for me. Who is the candidate that is going to do the most for me as an individual? Perspective voting, this is who's going to do the best for the country in the future. I think this person's policies is really going to, to get us going in the right direction. Retrospective is using the recent past. What's been going on? What's happening? Is the economy good? If it is, let's stick with this person. If it's not doing so well, let's try somebody else. You're using the past to make your judgment for today. And then straight ticket is pretty easy. You're just looking for the Republican or the Democrat. Doesn't matter who's running. Doesn't matter anything. As long as they got that letter by their name. All right, the delegates to the National Convention. So both parties have a National Convention. The sitting party. So right now, the Democrats, they get to go second. So the Republican convention will be in July. The August, I mean, uh, the August, the Democrats will have theirs in August. They will send delegates to that national convention who will cast their vote for the nominee for that party. We talked about and showed the delegates uh, on Wednesday in class. Remember, the Democrats have a few more delegates than do the Republicans. They did the superdelegates, and they just have more delegates. Who are they? All right. It's, they're not picking me. I have nothing to do with either party. They're, they're not going to be coming, knocking on my door, calling me, saying, hey, why don't you come be a delegate for our convention? The delegates are going to be people that are pretty loyal to the party, have worked in the party, and are pretty much ideologically just in line and never changing. All right. So that's who they are. Now they are delegated, remember, by the primaries and the caucus vote. So the Republicans, we get to pick basically who the delegates are and they use the winner take all system. All right. Uh, I think that's enough for the delegates. Uh, voting amendments, they're not all on there, but I'm going to go over all of them. The 15th, remember that, gave all African-American males the right to vote. The 17th was the direct election of senators. Up to this point, the state legislatures had picked our state senators. Now we get to. The 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. The 24th Amendment eliminated the poll tax. And the 26th Amendment <clears throat> excuse me, gave 18-year-olds the right to vote. Now, when we did this in class, we did go over some uh, legislation as well. It's not on this test, so I'm not going to go over it. But just be mindful that the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65 contributed a great deal to uh, voting and voting rights. 
All right, interest group goals and strategies. So uh, remember, interest groups are very, very, very specific, very narrow, and they are going to you know do what they can to get politicians, specifically, typically, Congress people, to make the changes to um, to vote certain ways on legislation. All right. Typically, interest groups are not going to try and get huge changes made because they know that puts a lot of pressure on Congress people. They are looking for little things here, little things there that can help their cause. Finally, the primaries and the caucuses. Okay, so what are they? First off, remember, this is all a part of the process to pick a presidential nominee for your party, or if it's a congressional election, uh, sometimes the parties will do those for contested con- congressional seats. Okay. Um, so the Republicans will have their primaries this spring. And I, I say primaries just because it's so overwhelming the amount of states that do primaries versus those that do the caucuses. So it's all the same thing. You're just going to pick the nominee that you want for the Republicans. If the Democrats were having one, you'd go to pick their nominee. All right. So that's what they are. It is just the process we go through of picking the nominees for the party for whatever position we're talking about. And we're just going to stick to the president because that's what's next. All right. And the primaries, remember, that's where you go check off some ballots. This is the one I like. I would never vote in a caucus, remember, because it's too time consuming. And you're going to have people trying to talk to you, trying to convince you to come vote with them. And it's just an all-day affair. I'm not going to deal with that. Their effects, remember that this was not always the case. We didn't always get to pick the nominee. It used to be the political parties that would really play the most major role in picking the candidate. And I keep mentioning 1860 because you did a case study on 1860. And hopefully that case study helped you see that there was no primary. There was no uh, travel around letting the citizens pick between Abraham Lincoln, Salmon Chase, William Sword, and I can't remember Stanton's first name. But there was no, that, that wasn't the case. They went to the, the, the convention. They did their campaigning there. And then the party held votes. Now, if you did the research, you should have seen that there was like 30 votes before they settled on Abraham Lincoln. For different reasons. We as citizens had no say so. We didn't pick delegates. We didn't pick the nominees. We did nothing. It was the party. Today, we have the primaries and the caucuses that allow us to go and pick and decide who is going to be the candidate that we want to run for the president from that party. It would be interesting to see, to go back in time and see that process play out if they had primaries and caucuses back then in 1860. Because Seward and Stanton were the most popular choices. They are the most well-known, and it'd be interesting to see how that played out. Abraham Lincoln might not have been our president had the people got the choice. All right, guys, that is it. Uh, Best of luck on the test. Let me know if I can help you. Reach out uh, if you need anything. I'll be happy to um, answer your questions, so the talking points or uh, email feel free. And uh, yeah, best of luck and I'll see you in class. Take care guys. Bye-bye.